Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. Today I'm talking with Francisco Magoya, Head Chef at Modernist Cuisine in Seattle. He and his team spent the last four years traveling the world on a pizza quest. They visited 250 pizzerias, ate 800 pizzas on the road, and baked 12,000 pies in the Modernist Cuisine Labs. The result is a three-volume tome called Modernist Pizza, making its publishing debut on October 5th. The books take a deep dive into pizza, exploring the history, styles, ingredients, techniques, and recipes for one of the world's most loved foods. Listen as Francisco describes how he and his team developed the ultimate pizzas by sourcing the best ingredients, combining techniques, experimenting over a long period of time, and judiciously applying toppings. He also shares his take on why pizza can be a very business-friendly food. Welcome, Francisco. Thanks so much for joining me today. It is my pleasure. It's good to see you again. Yeah, same here. Let's begin by telling me a little bit about your culinary background and how you developed such a strong passion for pizza. So I am currently the head chef at Modernist Cuisine in Seattle, and we, we write books here. Uh, and I've been working here in January, it will be eight years. Prior to that, I was working as a professor in the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park. Uh, I was a professor of baking and pastry. And that was about eight years that I did that. Prior to that, I was the executive pastry chef at the French Laundry in California and Bouchon Bakery as well. And prior to that, I had various jobs in restaurants in New York City as pastry chef, pastry cook, and so forth. So uh, the bulk of my formation was um, in New York City. Uh, but I did study, uh, I studied cooking in, I'm from Mexico City, so I studied, uh, you know, for a few years in Mexico City. Uh, I was fortunate enough to um, study uh, on a full scholarship in France for a year, and that was extremely important for, you know, maybe there are obvious reasons, I don't know, but it was very formative. Uh, it was basically a, a very important foundation for me as far as, you know, understanding cooking and technique and respecting method, uh, but also learning when you need to think on your own and, and not follow method and technique blindly uh, because everything can be done better. And that's that in reality, that's what we do here in Modernist Cuisine. That's the, the concept of modernism is to take, you know, classic stuff and see how you can make it better. Um, and so that that is essentially what we do here at Modernist Cuisine. And so pizza was a natural evolution from the books that uh, we wrote here. Our first book, at least the, not our first book, the first book I wrote here with Nathan Merville uh, was um, Modernist Bread. And Modernist Pizza was a... Uh, a segue to the the bread multi-volume book that we published in 2017 very you know and we we had a large section on pizza in that book but the book got so big that we had to see where we could trim uh, I mean it's, it was already a five volume book our bread book was five volumes it was going to be six so we had to trim 
um, see where we could cut information out. And, and you know, the, one of the things that, that we decided to trim was pizza so that we could actually devote it, it's, uh, you know, a, a full book to it. It just made sense to us at that point. So, um, so we spent four years on pizza and, and writing that book. So it was a, a deep dive into the world of pizza. So tell me a little bit about that deep dive. I and mean, how does how does modernist pizza differentiate itself from other pizza books and cookbooks? Uh, you know, we have a large collection of books here, not just on pizza, but on bread, pastry, uh, you know, cooking, grilling, etc. We try to get you know as as many books as possible in our library, um, and. You know, one of the things we realized with, is that there's, first of all, that there's not a lot of books on pizza. And the majority of the books on pizza are either for one style of pizza or one type of pizza. 99% of the books are for uh, people to make pizza at home, which is fine. But if you look at other types of books, there's, there's books that are geared towards either professionals or home bakers or home cooks. Um, and our our book differentiates itself for, on, in many levels. The first is that we're talking about three volumes, right? We're talking about three volumes uh, plus a kitchen manual on uh, all everything there is to know about pizza, from history, from uh, in, you know the science behind the ingredients, all the different types of doughs, different styles, um, topping, sauce, cheese. I mean, there's there's so much to know about pizza and you know, I, I can't think of any other book on pizza that comes even close to the amount of information that we, we provide in this book and the amount of recipes too. I mean, there's, there's recipes. We really try to make an effort for our recipes to be something for, yes, the home baker, but also for a seasoned, you know, pizzaiolo to be able to use as well uh, because we put our recipes through the ringer to be able to be, used by an, a large number of people. So uh, if you want to bake it at home or in a wood-fired pizza oven or in the deck oven, uh, our recipes cover all of that. Well, it seems like there are a lot more restaurants serving pizza now, even if they're not pizza restaurants. Correct. So I guess that would be very useful. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, that you know, during the pandemics, a lot of restaurants, like restaurants pivoted to making pizza, even if they had never made pizza before. And some of them realize, you know, it is, it's a very noble uh, food to sell because so many people like it. There are so, I mean, I'm sure there's people who don't like pizza, you know, there's, (laughs) but it's not a majority. Um, And if, and it, and it, the truth is that it's, you know, if you're paying attention, it's not hard to make good pizza, Uh, even though there's very bad pizza out there. Uh, it's almost like you have to go out of your way to make that pizza. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that is true. So many restaurants pivoted to making pizza. And I read that you ate 800 pizzas on the road. So <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. Over four years, it's not that yeah. extreme. But, and then you baked 12,000 in the lab. So. Yeah. And, and a lot of those had to be tasted too, right? Because we need to make sure that we're... And, you know... For those who think that there is no such thing as too much pizza, there is <laughs> such a thing as too much pizza. There is a point where it's like, I need a salad or just like a carrot, but enough pizza. Um, but yes, I mean, that that goes with the territory. I mean, we had to travel 
because you know there's so many different styles of pizza around the world, and we we you generally won't be an uh, like an expert at all of them, right? And so you have to go and and learn. You have to go and taste. Uh, you have to go and ask questions. And that's and was always to go and visit specific pizzerias, talk to the owners, talk to the people who were making the pizza, and learn as much as we could from that and translate that into our books. Mm-hmm. So what cities did you go to or what parts of the, you know, the world did you go to? So we went to Italy three times, three separate times in 2018. And uh, initially, our first trip was to Naples. It, it's almost like an obligatory stop because that's where pizza is from. Um, but then we also went to the north of Italy, went to southern Italy. Uh, so that was the, those were three separate trips. Each trip was about two weeks, sometimes three weeks, I think, one of them. So it was, it was a daily um, visit to at least four or five pizzerias, sometimes in the same city. Sometimes we, we, we had a little like truck that we would drive around because we went with a photographer to all these places. There's a lot of gear associated with that. And so um, to document everything that we were tasting everywhere that we were going, uh, like a travelogue, if you will, but also to, you know, once the trip was over to be able to like dissect everything that we had uh, tasted and seen and, and see how we were to like translate that into our books. So Italy three times. Um, we also went to anywhere that there was a huge Italian emigration where there was a, a specific style of pizza that came from it. So Italians immigrated to many parts of, of the world, uh, especially during the end of the uh, 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. Uh, it was a mass exodus uh, just from Campania alone, which is where Naples is. Mm. In a period of about 20 years, the end of the, the 19th century, you have about three and a half million people leaving uh, Campania to different parts of the world. The preferred place was the United States and the first port of entry was New York. So that's why you're going to see, uh, you know, the, the, the origins of pizza in the United States are in New York. Um, so obviously we went to New York, we went to Connecticut, uh, we went to Detroit, we went to Chicago, we went to uh, St. Louis, we went to um, Old Forge, Pennsylvania, San Francisco, even though there isn't the San Francisco style of pizza, it's a big pizza city. So is Los Angeles. You know, in Los Angeles, we can we have to go see Wolfgang Puck, Nancy Silverton, uh, you know, so many big players in pizza in, in there. But we also went to Phoenix to visit uh, Chris Bianco, uh, you know, probably one of the best pizzas that I've, I've ever had. Um, so we went to cities where there was either a specific style or, or that there was a, you know, a huge importance on, on pizza. Portland, Oregon, also huge pizza town. And uh, Seattle, because this is where we're from. And we, we, we went to a bunch of pizzerias locally. Of course, that was the easiest place to go to. Hmm. But a couple of places that might seem uh, inordinary are uh, Buenos Aires, where there was, there was a huge Italian immigration to Buenos Aires, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. And interestingly, they have very distinct styles of pizza uh, in those separate countries, even from each other. Um, and so we, we, we did a... a, a 10-day trip to Buenos Aires uh, and also a 10-day trip to Sao Paulo. Uh, Sao Paulo alone has 2,000 pizzerias 
wow. in the city. I mean, that's and and yes, it's not a very known thing. Uh, this this there's a huge pizza culture in Sao Paulo and in Buenos Aires, but we also went to um, we went to Tokyo and we went to Paris as well. Tokyo is uh, it's very Neapolitan style pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's even though it's slightly different from what you would see in Naples, but it's definitely Neapolitan. And Paris, it's, you know, it's becoming a very popular food in France. I mean, it's, it's not a, it, you know, even five or six years ago, it, 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 there weren't as many pizzerias as there are now. It's, there's, there's, there's this like huge, like newfound love for, for pizza in, in Paris. And so really good pizza is being made there. Right. And so that, that was the majority, the bulk of our trips. So a lot of miles were put into that and a lot of calories consumed as well. So. I guess it's like comparing apples and oranges, but did you have a favorite that, you know, aside from the Neapolitan, which is original? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I like Neapolitan, but it, I wouldn't put it in my, you know, top three. Uh, I love whatever, you know, any, any style of thin crust pizza to me is, is just texturally, it's, it's, it's on point for me. Uh, I love the, that, the fact that it is thin. I love that fact that it's crunchy. I love the fact that it's, you know, it, it is a, a really good slice, uh, just the right size. But I also like what we call artisan style, which I, I know it might sound slightly ambiguous. It's like, what is artisan style? So it's almost like if you combine New York style and Neapolitan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these are pizzerias, like, for example, it's, it's what we would call Nancy Silverton's pizza or what we would call, you know, this pizzeria in New Jersey, uh, uh, Razza. Uh, or Chris Bianco's pizza in Phoenix, which is pizzas that are made with a, a very special dough um, that is smaller than a New York style pizza, but it's, it's a dough that is it's a little uh, crispier. It's a little bit more organic looking. It's, it's typically baked in a wood fired oven. So it's got like those scorch marks on the outside. Um, but also the toppings are very like chef driven, right? And so there, there's a big importance on, you know, the, you know, artisan ingredients, artisan, artisanal cheeses, uh, you know, uh, farmers market vegetables. So it's not just you know, like your pepperoni slice, which is nothing wrong with that, but it, they're more along those lines of like using a bounty of really good produce, really good cheeses, really good meats, um, sort of like a different format of like elevated New York style pizza. So that's another one of my favorite ones. Um, and I really like Detroit. I mean, for me, Detroit and that, you know, that crispy rim on the side and the crispy base, it's just, but then again, I also really like, you know, what, like Roman Altaglio, it's fantastic. But a lot of people call it Sicilian. Some people call it New York Square. Some people just call it Square. I really like that style too, when it's well done. Um, you know, I, I, I can't think of a style that I, actually, that I would dislike per se. Um, it's It's, you know, even some people who say, you know, Chicago deep dishes and pizza. I mean, it is, but it's not, it doesn't fall into the, the traditional definition of what pizza is. But if you ask somebody to define what pizza is, it's very hard mm. to define what pizza is. Because I can tell you what pizza isn't. It's easier to define what pizza is by defining what pizza isn't. <laughs> and you mentioned the crust. So that's a really important part of the pizza, obviously. And what is, why is it crucial to source a particular type of flour and mm-hmm. when you're creating a crust? Yeah, I mean, it is important because what you're looking for with 
the the flour that you're sourcing is that is it going to provide me with a dough that is going to be elastic but also i want it to, i want to be able to stretch my dough but i also want it i i want it to 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 hold that shape i want it to not rip and tear uh so you need a dough that's going to be strong but elastic at the same time and so you have to find the right flour for that for example uh for neapolitan pizzas you want a type of flour that is strong, but not as strong as something that you would use for, let's say, New York style, mm. right? Um, Neapolitan pizza has the, what is very important about that type of flour that you use is that I, I, I should be able to stretch it easily and quickly. Um, and it should be able to withstand this, like what happens when it goes into the oven is this like very quick within seconds oven spring. So if I have a flour that is too strong or too weak, I'm not going to get that nice expansion that I'm looking for. So it's, it's kind of like a balance of, of tenacity and elasticity that you're looking for. New York, I want to make sure that it's going to be a strong dough because it's going to go, it's a big pizza. It's going to be in the oven. When I have a slice of it, I want to be able to fold that slice and that slice needs to be able to hold a tip, right? Um, and so that's not something that I look for with Neapolitan. Neapolitan uh, it's, it almost is like quite the opposite. You take a slice of Neapolitan pizza, it like completely sags. I mean, it, but that's just the style. That's how it's supposed to be. It's a, it's a soft pizza. So, um, so yes, I mean, we have a list in our book of what flowers would recommend for what style of pizza, mm -hmm. um, so that you can make the right decision. And, and essentially what we do is that we have a machine here that's called an extensograph, which is a machine that basically measures what I just described. It measures how long can the dough stretch and how strong is it, right? So that when we tell you, okay, this particular flour is best for this particular type of pizza, it's beyond our opinion. It's our machine is telling us this does the best job. Mm. This dough, this flour did the best job. And so it, you can almost guarantee that it's going to be a successful execution if you use the right flour. And do you recommend um, the double zero flour that you've imported? <laughs> People in the U.S. just use uh -huh. like high gluten flour. Uh, I mean, the double O, so double O is important to understand what it means. Um, and so double O is the classification that they utilize in Italy. Uh, there's double O, there's O, there's type one and type two. Mm -hmm. So type two would be your like almost whole wheat flour, right? It has all the bran and the germ. Type one has a little bit less. Uh, type zero has a lot less, it just has like a few flecks of bran and germ. And double O is the whitest, purest uh, flour. It has no bran and no germ. Uh, and it's also the smallest particle size. Mm. Now with double O, within double O, you can have double O that is very soft for cookies mm -hmm. and you can have double O that's very strong for pizza. So the double O is more of a, it, it's more telling you how pure, how purified the flour is. You have to find out through the, you know, the, the, the flour mill, what strength uh, the flour is. So for example, if you, if you, to give an example of a flour that a lot of people use, like Caputo, uh, Caputo is an Italian mill. They, they make the, the type double O, but they have specialized double O's that have like, okay, this special, this double O is for Neapolitan style pizza. And then they recently, a couple of years ago, they came out with a double O that's for what they call American pizza, which is like for New York style. Yeah. It's a stronger flour. Um, and then they have uh, double O for cookies and so on and so forth. So they have different strengths. So you have, just have to look, don't just go by double O, go by, okay, so it's double O, but what's it for? 
I like to combine it sometimes with, uh, you know, a type one or type two. So you can have a little bit of the flex of, of brand and German there. It's a little bit of a different flavor as well. Um, and, you know, but I also, you know, double O works fine on its own as well. So. Interesting. I never knew all those distinctions. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how about the um, mixing and proofing techniques? You mentioned in the book that you honed in on certain techniques that really um, changed the way you make pizza. So can you explain mm -hmm. this? Yeah, I, ideally with, as a general rule, the longer you ferment the dough, uh, the better flavor you're going to get out of it and the better texture that you're going to get out of it as well. When you have a dough that is, you know, mixed and baked within a few hours, it tends to be a little bit, uh, it's, it tends to take, even though it's cooked, it tastes like just like raw flour. It tends to be a little bit gummier. It tends to be a little bit denser. But when you give it a long fermentation, you give the yeast enough time to do its work, which is to basically consume all of the starches in there, uh, to process them, produce CO2, um, and the dough relaxes. And so you're, you're getting all of these, what are called available sugars, which are going to help with the browning of the crust. It's gonna give you a crispier crust. It's gonna give you a much better flavor. Um, and so you're gonna get, with a longer fermentation, you're gonna get all of those benefits. There's some people that really go crazy with it and they're like, they do a 96 hour fermentation. Uh, and it's like how they market their pizza. Like, you know, it's a 96 hour fermentation. It's more digestible. Uh, that is not completely uh, scientifically sound. It doesn't, a longer fermentation doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to digest it better. That's, that's mm -hmm. digestibility has, it's an individual. It, every person is different. Um, but there is such a thing as a very dense dough that's going to feel a little bit heavier in your stomach versus a dough that's going to be uh, lighter, uh, that's going to feel different when you eat it. Although, you know, some would argue, it's like, okay, if you put a pizza in a blender, what does it look like? Well, that's exactly what it's going to look like in your stomach, right? And so it, it, it's a lot of the matter of like how we perceive this particular dough. But in truth, you're getting better flavor with longer fermentation. So for example, uh, one thing that we, we like with our Neapolitan pizza dough, for example, is that we mix the dough, very tiny amount of yeast, but we, we mix it until it's fully developed and we let it sit out for 24 hours. Well covered, but at around 70 degrees Fahrenheit, like temperature control room. Um, and the next day we, we come in, our dough has like grown exponentially. Uh, it has all these beautiful aromas and flavors. We just, we, we use such a minimal amount of yeast, but then we take that, that dough, we form it into balls. We let it sit for three or four more hours and then we bake it. And it produces to me the most delightful Neapolitan pizza, but it took a while to get there because for example, some of the experiments that we did with Neapolitan pizza dough, we did many variables on fermentation because in our travels, we had a pizzaiolo tell us, no, you must ferment for 12 hours. And then the next guy or lady would say, no, 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 24 hours. And then somebody else would say, no, no, you need to refrigerate it for 72 hours. And everybody will tell you that that's the best way. And in a sense, what you have is all of those pizzas were good, right? I mean, but that's just how they developed their style, what worked for their system, um, you know, and that's so, but we wanted to te te test all of these uh, variables. And we even threw in some, some different variables in there as well. Um, 
And the, the one that we picked, the one that we really liked for Neapolitan was, a, was a, uh, a technique that we didn't see anybody else do. It was one of the ones that we came up with. Um, and it's just, for me, it produces like the most open crumb on the rim. It just, the flavor is delicious. It's easy to handle. It, it just, um, it was a, a very important moment for us because that's when experiments pay off. Um, you know, we've performed so many hundreds of experiments here. Uh, you know, not all of them are like, wow. And you see fireworks, you know, and it's like this incredible result. Uh, some of them have are menial. Some of them are, you know, minor improvements, but every now and then you really get one that is like, this is incredible. And so that the recipe that we developed for our Neapolitan pizza to me is, was one of the great discoveries of, of our book. Um, but we also include other recipes for Neapolitan pizza. We include a very traditional Neapolitan pizza. In Naples, you have, uh, you know, you have, there's a, 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 an association that certifies, you know, the authenticity of your pizza. It's the AVPN. And they have rules. They have a recipe you have to follow. And so we've included that recipe if somebody felt like they wanted to make that recipe. Mm -hmm. And we've also included a recipe that is like an American style Neapolitan pizza dough, which is the, that's the 48, 24 to 48 hours cold proof of the dough. Um, so in a sense, what we try to provide is like, look, you have all of these things available. Pick the one you like the most or two or three or try them all and see which one you like the most. Right. But they're all good. In the end, they're all good. And what conclusions did you come to about the equipment that's essential to make pizza? We talked about restaurateurs mm -hmm. who were in, who in pizza and do, what kind of oven do they need? Um, is there any, I mean, can yeah. they current ovens that they use all the time? Look, yeah, that is the number one uh, factor that you need to think about when you're deciding to uh, uh, add pizza to your menu or start a pizzeria. The oven is instrumental, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say you already have a particular oven. Let's say, you know, I, I, if I think of most of the restaurants that I worked in, uh, like the, the, in the pastry kitchen, you have a convection oven. The line cooks have these like still ovens, right? They're like on top, there's a range on top and there's a, a static oven underneath. So what you have to think about is like, what's the best pizza that I can do with what I have available, right? So I would never think of doing a Neapolitan pizza in those environments because for Neapolitan, you need, you need that roaring heat. You need the 850, 900 degree Fahrenheit oven that these ovens just can't do. But what pizzas can you do in that type of oven? You could do a, a really nice like uh, New York Square or you could do Detroit's even. Uh, you can do most pizzas that you can bake in a pan bake really nicely in those, in those ovens. Roman Altaglio, uh, for example. Uh, but like New York wouldn't work great because New York really benefits from bottom heat. So if you have a deck oven, that's great. That's, that's what you want. Then that opens up other possibilities. Uh, but yes, the oven will definitely determine what type of pizzas you can sell. And what other kinds of equipment do you need? Like, is there anything basic that you must have? You know, I think that I'm, I'm a big fan of, of help of using technology to help me do my job. Um, so while there is some romanticizing around mixing a dough by hand, there is no need, uh, to mix by hand because a machine can accomplish that, uh, much more efficiently and you don't have to be on top of it all the time. Right. I mean, I think that, that machines, many of them can do a fantastic job mixing a dough. And if you don't like, you know, using machines, you can use a machine partially and then finish with what is called a bulk fermentation, which is a long fermentation that you know, 
in, in the dough as a bulk, and then you can perform folds on the dough every half hour or so to strengthen it if you don't want to use the machine too much. But it's not like the machine is going to taint the dough in any way or make it bad. A machine just accelerates the process of developing the dough. So um, I think a spiral mixer would be, I, for me, it's, it's, it's for making in general pizza doughs is probably one of the best mixers you can get. Uh, and they come in many different sizes. You can even get a tabletop spiral mixer these days. Um, but it, it, it's the dough that can mix the dough the best. It, it keeps it the coolest too, because that's important. And it's, it's an efficient machine to have. You talked a little bit about the type of um, toppings that you like, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of Americans are used to piling on what pepper yeah. sausage and much like uh -huh. piling on a lot of toppings. So what is your uh -huh. advice for making the most of topping your pizza? Yeah. So we did, a, we have a large section in our book on what we call payload. Uh, and payload is a term that is utilized, for example, for a space shuttle, right? Or an airplane, like how much, uh, stuff can you put in it and have the airplane still fly properly or the space shuttle still get to its destination? Uh, and if what's the breaking point where it's like too much and the plane's going to crash or it doesn't have enough fuel, right? And it's a term that could easily be seen uh, used in pizza. It's like, how much stuff can I put on my pizza before, you know, the pizza is going to collapse? And, and it's not so much about the pizza collapsing. It's like, if you put like all of these vegetables on top of it, you're basically steaming the dough, right? I mean, the, the, the vegetables don't have enough time to bake. So you have some like raw peppers in there and raw onions. And then the dough is all soggy because the vegetables couldn't evaporate all that moisture. So we talk about that. And that's why we provide in our recipes, we provide quantities that we recommend to avoid all of those problems. But the most important thing is like, if it's piled on too high where you can't see the sauce at the bottom, uh, it's probably too much. I mean, that's a good rule of thumb. And you're going to see a lot of pizzerias, they don't, they don't measure necessarily the sauce and cheese they put on top. It's because they have a lot of practice. Um, but they will also tell you, okay, you know, when you put the cheese on top of the sauce, you still need to be able to see some of the sauce under the cheese. It, you know, if you can't see sauce anymore, it's probably too much cheese. Yeah. And, you know, there's a symmetrical distribution of ingredients that the that, that pizzaios will typically agree to, which is every slice should more or less have a similar amount of stuff on top of it. But yes, it, it, it's, it's a good rule of thumb is like, can I see through these toppings? Am I still able to see the sauce through these toppings? And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, in this case, less can be more, right? If, if I'm, you know, putting a ton of vegetables on top or meats or what have you, is that really making for a better pizza? Or is it just like, it's, it's this abundance that is unnecessary. Um, and so there is, there's definitely a parameter, uh, like a range of maximum to minimum that you want to stay in. Interesting. And is there, um, how about the sauce? We talked, we didn't mention the sauce and the cheese. Mm -hmm. is there any, do you have any like guidelines for the type of tomatoes to use if you're making your sauce from scratch or is mozzarella yeah. the best cheese? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for as far as sauce goes, I mean, it, if you're going to do a Neapolitan style pizza, the best thing you can do is utilize, um, and it's not necessarily San Marzano. San Marzano is the, the go-to for a lot of pizza. San Marzano is a type of tomato that has, that grows, it has a denomination of origin, which is in, in San Marzano. In fact, it's close to the Vesuvius in, in Campania, uh, near Naples. And it's a particular type of tomato that grows in that area. Uh, it's a good tomato, but it's not the only and best tomato you can put on, on top of a pizza. Um, 
incredibly or interestingly, if you will, the the sauce that goes on top of pretty much every Neapolitan pizza comes from canned tomatoes. Mm. Uh, it's it's a just an accepted thing, and and you know some some might say, well, why can't I use fresh tomatoes? And you can. I mean, you can make a fresh tomato sauce. I mean, I think the most to me, the most important characteristic for any tomato that I'm going to put in a sauce is that the tomato should be ripe uh, because it, that's where, how it's going to break down. It's going to have more sugars. It's going to be more flavorful. It has more umami associated with it. You know, tomatoes have a large amount of MSG. A lot of people don't know that, but a lot of that umami, that, that taste that you get from tomatoes is MSG. Um, but you really get it mostly with tomatoes that are ripe. So, you know, beefsteak tomatoes are fine. Plum tomatoes, if they're ripe, they're also fine. I really like to use cherry tomatoes. Mm. I think cherry tomatoes are very sweet. Uh, they ripen a lot faster. Uh, they, I, I don't know, I think they have a very, they have a more tomatoy flavor sometimes than most tomatoes. Obviously, if you get a great tomato, you know, in that 45 minute window that you have in August for tomatoes, <laughs> uh, those are going to produce a really fantastic sauce. Uh, but you can ripen your own tomatoes and so forth. But I would always recommend that, you know, tomatoes, use them at their ripest to make a sauce. Um, you can force the ripening by putting them in, you know, paper bags or, you know, putting them in certain conditions where you're going to speed up that ripening. But if you use like those hard winter tomatoes yeah. that are white on the inside, I mean, you, you, sh you can't have a lot of hope that it's going to produce a great sauce. So it all starts with a, a good ripe tomato. And the cheese, um, is mozzarella the best to use? Well, I mean, I, if I'm making a New York style pizza, I'm going to use what it's called. Uh, some people call it pizza cheese. Some part, people call it part skim or, or skim uh, mozzarella cheese. Uh, that is the best for that particular style. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm doing Neapolitan, I'm going to use what's called fresh mozzarella or fior di latte. There's a, a version of it that's called uh, mozzarella di bufala, which is made with a, a, a water buffalo milk. It's a little bit more expensive. It has like twice the amount of fat that Fior de Latte has. So it's richer, has more of like sour notes to it. So it's a little bit more expensive. So that one, in fact, some pizza will say, you know, if you put it on a pizza, you, the nuance of, of uh, mozzarella de bufala is kind of lost because it gets mixed into the tomatoes and the dough and you don't really get the nuance of the, of the cheese itself. So, so that is a good cheese for that pizza because it's high moisture. Mm -hmm. It's going into a very high temperature oven so it can resist that heat. If you put pizza cheese or, or, you know, part skin mozzarella inside a, you know, 850 degree oven, you have a good chance that it's going to go from brown to like flecks of black and it might burn a little bit nice. because it's drier, right? So there is a cheese for a type of pizza. And so the mozzarella in general is, is the most common that is used for uh, Neapolitan fresh mozzarella and then just the part skin mozzarella for like New York style pizzas. So to wrap up, is there anything we left? I'm sure there's a lot we left out about making pizza because you have like a three month mm -hmm. tone. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. is there anything else you want to add as a last remark? Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, if, if I were to start a business, I think that a pizzeria is probably one of the smartest things you can do because, it, and there are some styles that really lend themselves to full service, meaning for, uh, you know, dining room service, but also for takeout, uh, for slices and so forth. Um, so if you know how to, if, if like all of this information is in our book, 
um, knowing how to handle the doughs and how to bake them and how to, you know, cool them down and how to reheat them and so forth. It could be a very good business. Um, I think that not to say that, I mean, I said earlier, it's hard to mess up pizza, but you know, if you do follow a recipe, if you have the right oven and if you watch what you're doing, you can make extraordinary pizza and it, and it's something that it's, it's easy to make a lot of. So, I mean, that, that would be one of my, my comments on pizza is that it's, it's a very business-friendly food. Thanks so much, Francisco. I learned so much about pizza in just 30 minutes and can't wait to try my pizza baking skills. Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more food and drink trends. The podcasts are now available to download on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.